these rocks were, uh, some of them were embedded in the ice sheets and some of them were just sitting there and the edge of the ice sheet would knock against them. Now, when you've got an ice sheet that's an acre in size and you've got a strong wind blowing it, that can very easily push a small rock along. Welcome to Experiences You Should Have, your how-to guide for amazing experiences. And today, we are here with a very, very special guest, Brian Dunning from the Skeptoid Podcast. Welcome, Brian. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about Skeptoid? So Skeptoid is the science podcast that I started back in 2006. And uh, every week we take a look at some urban legend or something in pop culture. Uh, and we, we explore the true science, the true history behind it. So, you know, there's so many things like everything from UFO stories to Bigfoot stories to paranormal claims to conspiracy theories. Uh, and each one of these stories has uh, important lessons we can learn from it for how to uh, better understand what's real from what's not in the world around us. Oh, I love it. And I've been following you a little bit, checking out some of the videos you've made. Cool. And I am really excited about today's episode. And today we are talking about an incredible phenomenon uh, that happens in Death Valley called the Sailing Stones. Can you tell our listeners what the sailing stones are? Yeah, I, I remember when I was in film school back in 1980, uh, I guess this was probably 83. <laughs> it's a long time ago. Um, they, uh, we were seeing some trailers made by some of the previous uh, film students there, and one of them was called like Devil's Stone or something like that. And it showed these uh, rocks laying on the ground in the desert, and there was trails behind them as if the rocks had dragged along the ground. And uh, that just blew my mind. We go, oh, this has got to be some fictional movie someone made, some horror story or something, right? But apparently it's absolutely real. Uh, these rocks actually do move. And uh, it just, it was in my mind for decades until I finally had the chance to go there with a couple of friends uh, to see it for myself. I mean, it had been burning this hole in my mind and really intriguing me and kind of freaking me out a little bit because uh, I had no idea what could cause that. I mean, there's been a lot of different theories such as aliens and vortexes <laughs> and uh, maybe it's just the wind moving the rocks. Anything but. you can think of. There, there's a sign in front of this place in Death Valley that uh, you know explains what it is and what's going on. And uh, I, I, I've had the the pleasure of watching the explanation on this sign evolve uh, at least twice uh, since, um, I mean, I've been one of the primary publishers on what's been going on there, so I've, I've, I've seen it change uh, updating with, uh, with things that I had discovered, which was super, super fun. <laughs> so tell our listeners a little bit more about maybe the first time that you saw the Sailing Stones. Okay, so I went there, uh, this was in 2001, with a couple of friends. Uh, and, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's remote. It's, it takes a long, long time to get there. Everything in Death Valley is big, and, you know, no two places are close. Mm -hmm. So it's hours to get out there. And we got there kind of in the dark. It was very, very cold, so we just kind of pitched our tent and crashed. Later learned you're not allowed to camp where we did, but <laughs> that's another story. 
Uh, and so we got up in the morning and it was absolutely freezing uh, and we were kind of quasi well enough dressed for it. And to our great disappointment, there was a lake covering much of, well, I mean, it's, it's called a lake. It's, the, the place is called Racetrack Playa and a playa is, you know, the sound, the, the name for a, for a dry lake. It's mostly just dried crackled mud mm-hmm. 99% of the time. And you walk out there and that's where you find the stones with these trails. So we were so disappointed to see that it was covered with water. It's like, oh no, we're not going to see any trails. And so we went out there. Uh, it was, there was a lot of wind blowing. It was really, really cold. And when we got to the edge of this lake, it was actually moving. Looking down at the edge of this lake, it was creeping along at almost walking speed as the wind was literally blowing this very, what it was actually a gigantic puddle, you know, many acres in size. The wind was just blowing this lake across, across the surface of the playa. And as we looked out on it, we could see that there was great big sheets of ice mm. covering much of this water. And uh, the, the ice sheets were moving. They were being blown by the wind as well. And looking out there, you could see these little black specks pretty far from where we were. Uh, but those were the rocks, and they were actually moving. So what was moving those rocks? Well, I mean, I, I I could I could see what was happening at the at the time, although it's not it doesn't match what was written on the sign outside and what what authors had been writing about this. What people had been saying was things like, well, the the best theory we have is that uh, it gets muddy and there's really strong winds and the wind just push the rocks along in the mud, mm-hmm. and it doesn't take much to realize that's never been observed anywhere. We've never seen big, heavy rocks scooting along the ground uh, from the force of wind alone. Now, how much do these rocks weigh? Well, they're all different sizes. You know, um, the small ones that you'll find are, um, what's, a, what's a good comparison? Uh, <laughs> you know, the size of both your fists put together, or maybe the size of your head. Uh, some of the big ones are the size of a, a stool, maybe, you know, to two, three feet across. These uh-huh. fairly big blocks of stone. Uh, the type of stone is dacite. It comes from a promontory that's at the south end of the playa um, that's, that's fairly loose, and they just kind of roll and tumble down, and they end up on the playa. And then when they move, that's their starting point, and they kind of start their journey going off across the playa and these various different directions. So what we were able to see when we were there was that these rocks were, uh, some of them were embedded in the ice sheets, and some of them were just sitting there, and the edge of the ice sheet would knock against them. Now, when you've got an ice sheet that's an acre in size, and you've got a strong wind blowing it, that's a lot of horsepower. There's kind of a lot of torque in that. Mm -hmm. That can very easily push a small rock along uh, in the mud, and that's exactly what was happening. Now, we had with us a um, a video camera. Do you remember... um, Remember Back to the Future? Remember he had that like that red JVC video camera? Yes. It was like really old school and really cheap. That's the kind that we had. <laughs> and it was like really low resolution and it was VHS. Uh, and so if you look at the video that we took, you cannot see any of the rocks. You just see just, you know, it's, it's much too low res. Um, 
so I, although I knew it was happening um, and we were able to film it, the film wasn't good enough quality to, to show any evidence of what we were seeing. So I was really, really disappointed by that. But um, also, that this having been my first visit there, I didn't really realize the significance of being there and having seen it happen and filming it. Because uh, until 2014, it was said that nobody had ever seen The Rocks move and nobody had ever gotten any film of it. Well, I, I did both in, in 2001, and I just didn't realize that that was a, an unusual thing yet. Mm. So can you say that you cracked the mystery? No, I can't. I, what, so f- about five years after I was there is when I had a change of career and became a science writer. And uh, it was in 2014, years after that, that I finally decided, you know what? I see all this nonsense about the Sailing Stones being published and all these ridiculous theories. I know what's happened. I know when to go, where to go, how to go, what to do. I'm going to go get real evidence of it and publish. So I um, had a permit to do scientific research in the park, which is, you know, it takes, it takes some doing to get, but if there's been, if there's been other, um, when, you, when you file a permit like that, you, really, you generally want to cite previous research that's been done. And there was enough kind of similar stuff that I was able to cite enough of it. And I got the permit. And I knew a number of things. I knew that to see this, you had to be there at a very unusual circumstance, which is when there's ice on a lake and there's wind. Mm-hmm. And there's very rarely a lake at all. And very even more rarely is there a lake. And even more rarely is there also wind blowing the ice across across the lake. Mm-hmm. So I knew when the time of year where it's likely to happen, I knew where would be a high enough vantage point that you could look down on this, but you can't stake someone out there for six months. So I was I designed sort of a portable weather station um, that I found commercial ones available for scientific research that would be solar powered. It would have an, uh, an uplink because there was no cell coverage there. There's better coverage there now. Um, and it would take uh, data readings of the wind direction, the temperature, and take photographs of the surface of the playa, and it would send them to me. And when conditions were good, at the time I lived about a six-hour drive from it, um, I would just jump in the car, grab a film crew, jump in the car, and and rush out there, and we'd get footage of it happening. So I, um, through our nonprofit, I started a crowdfunding campaign to get this scientific instrument funded. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I started that, boom, Somebody else published the exact same paper using, and the thing is, they designed a science station that was exactly like mine, oh. and they had put it on the mountainside almost exactly where I was going to put mine. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, you know, I admitted defeat, and I, I congratulated them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, no, it's, uh, I cannot claim to be the one who cracked the mystery. Um, it's, uh, you know, what counts is what gets published properly first, and they beat me to the punch. Yeah. But you were there. You were there. You witnessed it, and I'd say you're you were pretty close. I yeah, that that's true. But you know, it's kind of close, but no cigar. Right. <laughs> I just thought of the idea too too little, too late. I mean, I should have done it years before, and for no good reason, I didn't. Yeah. So, why should someone go see this phenomenon? The mystery's been solved. 
It's not a vortex. It's not magnetic <laughs> fields. It's not aliens. It's, it's ice. <laughs> it's it, it's ice. Uh, but like I say, it's very rare that those conditions exist. Any Almost any other time you go there. I mean, you can be a normal visitor and go there your whole life, and you will never see water on the playa. Um, what you will see is rocks with these trails that can be hundreds of yards long. Uh, they can... They can twist and go back over themselves, and they make turns, and they do angles. Um, and it is an astounding thing to see. Uh, you're in a very beautiful and very remote place. Uh, you know, Death Valley means a lot of things to a lot of people. Um, you know, a lot of people have a sense of mysticism when they go there. I've been going there with my, with my family my whole life. We have a lot of very special memories there. Um, we all enjoy the, the, the solitude, the, the scenery, um, you know, just being there at all is a really kind of special experience. And of course it's got that great name, Death Valley, Mm -hmm. you know, it's world famous. When you go to Death Valley, Americans are in the minority. It's a lot of Chinese and German tourists and increasingly Russians, um, from what I understand. Hmm. I always ask whenever I'm there, I ask the Rangers, so what, (laughs) <laughs> where are you seeing tourists from? And they say, oh, yeah, this trend is growing, and, yeah, we're not seeing Japanese so much anymore. It, it, it's interesting, but people from all around the world come here because they hear of it. And the racetrack um, is one of the main sites to see. Uh, it is, however, remote, and it's a 22-mile uh, uh, dirt road that's pretty rough in a lot of places. It's washboarded. It'll beat the heck out of your car, and a lot of people just don't want to do that. It's a, it's a pretty it's a pretty grim drive. Now we have our Jeep, and we uh, with really big tires, and we deflate them a lot, and we can cruise down that road without too much trouble. But unless you've got that, it's a it's a definitely a difficult and painful drive mm-hmm. to get there. So maybe you want to rent a rugged <laughs> Jeep and not have to destroy your own car. And, and they do rent Jeeps in the park. Oh. There's a Jeep rental place in uh, Furnace Creek, which is, you know, another hour uh, further away. But, um, yeah. So it, it's possible to get there. Okay. Okay. Well, we are now getting into the road of logistics. Let's keep on going down this road here. Uh, this very rocky and bumpy and <laughs> crazy road that you describe. Uh, so if you want to go to Death Valley to see the sailing stones, how do you, how do you get there? What's the closest airport at least? Oh, the closest airport. Uh, <laughs> that's a tough one. Uh, the closest airport I think is probably Las Vegas, uh, which is pretty darn far away yeah three hours i'm guessing three four hours to get to get to the park from las vegas and then once you're in the park there's two main places you can stay there's furnace creek which is the biggest main central um place where there's you know there's a nice hotel there's a um a a more uh, sort of bunkhouse type larger motel for um for smaller budgets the the luxury hotel is super fancy I, i go there to eat or drink sometimes, but uh, I would never stay there. It's just too fancy for my taste. Mm-hmm. I feel like being a dirty Jeep guy when I'm in Death Valley. I don't <laughs> want to do that. 
And then the other place, which is where uh, my family um, stays when we're not camping, is uh, Stovepipe Wells, which is a uh, half hour, 45 minutes north of Furnace Creek. It's closer to, um, to the racetrack. Uh, Stovepipe Wells has nothing but a hotel, a gas station, and a restaurant, and that's it. And we love it there. It's our second home away from home. So from there, then you drive north. Uh, how far is it? I'm guessing it's about an hour, hour and a half to get from Stovepipe Wells to Ubihibi Crater, which is kind of the end of the paved road. And Ubihibi Crater is, um, that's another fantastic sight to see. It's very impressive. It's this gigantic volcanic crater in the ground. It's actually a, a steam um, explosion. I'm not sure what the, the term is that volcanologists use, but it was water that was underground that was superheated by magma and the steam exploded and created this big crater. So it wasn't, uh, you know, lava coming out or anything. Wow. So you can see Ubihibi Crater. You can hike around that. And if you want, you can then leave the pavement and head on down south from there to, uh, to uh, the racetrack. Uh, like I say, it's a long road. It's almost all uphill. Uh, you'll get to the famous Tea Kettle Junction where uh, people hang tea kettles, which they're not supposed to do because technically that's littering. Why do they hang tea kettles? <laughs> it's called Tea Kettle Junction. It's kind of a chicken and the egg situation. I don't know if a, someone first put a tea kettle there uh, and so they called it Tea Kettle Junction or if it was just called that first so people started bringing their old tea kettles. And twice now <laughs> I've been there with rangers and, and helped a ranger just collecting tea kettles and throwing them into garbage bags and tossing them in the back of the truck. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, so someone is deliberately bringing a tea kettle to leave. It's a, it's a very popular tradition. Yeah. Oh. A lot of people bring tea kettles just to hang them there. Um, when, we, when we made our – so as part of my nonprofit, we made this film in 2017 – called Principles of Curiosity. And a large segment in that film was talking about this whole thing at, at the racetrack in the Sailing Stones. And when you're filming in Death Valley, you know, part of your film permit requires that you have a ranger with you at all times mm -hmm. to make sure you're not, you know, breaking any rules or doing anything you're not supposed to do. And um, so our ranger, part of her job at the end of the day was to stop at Tea Kettle Junction and collect all the teapots. <laughs> and so we had our whole film crew pitch in. And I mean, it sounds like that shouldn't be a big deal, but we're talking about 75 kettles, most of which are somehow chained or cable locked on to um, the, the signpost. Uh, people really take it seriously. They don't want their tea kettles taken away. Wow. And so we're sitting there with bolt cutters and, and <laughs> saws and knives and trying to try to get all these tea kettles off. So it was kind of fun with the whole film crew. Okay. And so, yeah, then just a few miles uh, further south from that, there's... Uh, the racetrack just kind of spreads out in front of you as it come come over a hill. Um, it's got a it's got a prominence uh, in the middle of it called the grandstand. It's a big pile of rocks that you can go climb on, and you get a really neat view of the entire playa from up on top of that. Um, uh, that's yeah. my travelogue description right. of how to get there. That's a, that's a great <laughs> description. Now, when should someone go there? So. Any time of year. Um, you can, uh, Death Valley is busiest in the summer mm -hmm. when the temperatures are literally lethal. People still die in Death Valley every year. Mm. Most of the deaths are caused by single car accidents. People just 
fall asleep at the wheel and they drive off the road and they crash or, or uh, Jeep rollovers, things like that. Um, and of course, the second leading cause of death is exposure um, from, from the heat. Mm. Um, like I say, it happens every year. So you do have to be very, very careful. But when you go to Death Valley, you kind of want to see it at its best. I do. I, I love going there when it's 120 degrees. Whew. And often it'll be 120 degrees and raining with lightning. Uh, and it's, <laughs> it's really dramatic. Because of the summer storms. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it that can sounds be, incredible. It can be something else. It really is. And I learned that when it's 120 and there's a strong wind blowing, that really hurts. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people go there, like I say, during the summer. If you want to go when we were there to see the, the, um, the ice and, and the lake, like I say, lots of luck. Your chances are slim that the conditions are going to be there when you go. And, and this is very important, it's illegal to go out on the playa when there's water there. Oh. Now, we didn't know that when I was there. Um, so what we were technically doing was illegal. However, we did not walk anywhere where it was muddy. We only walked anywhere where it was dry. So we didn't leave any of the traces that, that they're concerned about. Mm-hmm. Um, so you cannot go out there uh, when, it's, um, when it's wet. Um, you also can't drive vehicles on it. And... People continue to violate that, and the tragedy with that is the those tracks last for years and years and years, and they mm. really spoil. They really spoil the beauty of the lake, and so that's very illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they have the park has scant resources; they're not really able to station people there all the time. And so, still, almost every year, you'll go and you'll find fresh tire tracks out there, which is just it just breaks my heart. It's, yeah. it's terrible to see. Mm. So you can go anytime, but summer yeah. is when you can get the crazy storms and the heat of Death Valley. What time of year did you say to go when it's icy? So January is uh, when when I was there, which is you know kind of the 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 wettest and and coldest month. The water that's there uh, isn't from precipitation; it's from uh, snowpack on the surrounding mountains, and mm. it'll flow down. Um, I, I don't know that it that rain really ever touches the ground there. <laughs> a lot of Death Valley rain doesn't touch the ground. It'll be raining, and the rain evaporates before it can get all the way down there. Uh, but so it's, it'll just get really humid and muggy, and you can tell that it's raining, but you may or may not feel it. It's really a, a strange experience. Mm. So if you go out there in the summer, it's deathly hot in Death Valley. And let's say you've got some water bottles. Are there filling stations to fill up your water, or do you need nope. to cart your water in? You need to bring everything, and you need to be you need to take that very very seriously. You need to bring more water than you think you you might possibly need, and and don't skimp on that. And you can of course buy water at stovepipe wells. There are no developed campgrounds anywhere near this. Uh, there the developed campgrounds are back like near stovepipe wells in Furnace Creek, and you know they've got uh, faucets there that you can fill water bottles and water cans and things like that. Uh, when we go, um, we always have at least one six-gallon container of water filled with us in the, in the back of the Jeep at all times, plus you know just a big flat of water bottles from the supermarket. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's something that you need to take seriously. More than once, I've been spent so much time in Death Valley, more than once we've rescued people. Um, we've found people who were 
way off the road with a car they shouldn't have been and they didn't have any water and we gave them a whole bunch. Uh, and then in the winter, we've pulled people who were stuck in the snow out with the winch. And I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> you kind of have to be a, you have to, <laughs> everyone is both a, a victim and a rescuer there. Uh, expect to help someone out and expect to need to get helped out yourself. Yeah. It's, it's a dramatic place. It really is. Oh, it sounds like it. So now let's say uh, you've limited mobility and maybe you're in a wheelchair or maybe you can't uh, walk very well. Um, I know you can take a Jeep out there, but when you get out, are there, can you experience it without having to walk far or are there any ramps or that so, sort of thing? So the, there's uh, there's some like pullout areas on the on the dirt road that goes past the playa where they want you to park, and from those it's probably a couple hundred yards of sort of like uh, loose sand and lumpy grass berms and everything. I believe it would be very very difficult to get a wheelchair through there, um, but if you can. Uh, the park does not consider that driving on the playa, so you're oh. you're welcome to ro- ro- roll around with your wheelchair. Um, but to get out to where the rocks are, expect to go a good half mile. Okay. Uh, so it's a long distance. Now this is kind of fun. What the park has done, the rangers have done, is they've taken big rocks, big boulder type rocks, and they've positioned them much closer to the parking area. They've kind of cheated and put their own sailing stones out there. Mm. And the reason for that is uh, basically to give people an easier way to see a rock that has moved because many of these will have trails on them. So those of us who know what's going on say, oh, that one's a fake one. It's not real. Well, it's a real rock and it does actually move and it does have the trail. It's just not from the... um, the local rock formation that most of the other ones are. So when you get out of your car and you go out there and you start seeing some rocks and you go, oh, cool, look, I'm seeing one. You're seeing one that the park has positioned there for you to see. You've got to go pretty far across to the other side, a a good mile, mile and a half to see the actual ones, many of which are smaller in size that, uh, that, that have naturally fallen to where they are and then gotten out there by way of the ice all right all right now you talked a little bit about of what to bring with the water situation but what else should you pack in your bag or bring with you in your car uh a hat (laughs) take the sun very very seriously i mean that's the the number one recommendation in death valley is be prepared for the elements Mm -hmm. uh you can in the same day you can be sweating to death because it's so hot and you can drive up into the snow Mm -hmm. Uh, there's uh more than eleven thousand foot elevation difference inside the park yeah Uh, that's big so uh yeah expect to dress for very cold much colder weather than you expect and dress for much hotter weather than you expect um like i said they have expanded the cell coverage now so there's cell coverage in most of the places in the park um, where you're likely to go and that's mainly for safety reasons because people do die in the park. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, don't forget to bring your camera. You got to take some neat uh, pictures posing with one of the moving stones. I love it. I love it. Now, as far as costs go, I mean, you are in a park, so the cost shouldn't be too high. Uh, can you estimate? Yeah, I believe the I believe the cost per car is $25. Uh, it may have gone up something from that. Okay. Uh, and that's, you know, per car. 
with uh, however many people you've got in the car. Uh, and you just, that's kind of, you just voluntarily stop at a ranger station to pay that. Uh-huh. And then as far as getting to the racetrack, there's no cost associated with that at all. Um, gas is also a very important consideration because to go from the closest gas station, Stovepipe Wells, to the racetrack and back is pretty much an entire tank of gas. Oh. So do be prepared to uh, expect to burn a lot of fuel. Okay. So maybe bring some extra fuel with you. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, it's easy on the Jeep. We've got a, a I don't know, a couple of, uh, what, how big are those? 20 liter? Yeah, we've got uh, two 20 liter uh uh, fuel cans. And that's the other thing. I've given people gas more than once as well. <laughs> wow. Wow. Now in Stovepipe Wells, what's about the average nightly cost to stay there? It's not cheap. It's, uh, it's you know, supply and demand. There's a very sure. small supply and people always want to go there. Uh, you can pay, it's, you know, seasonal. You can pay two to 300 bucks uh, for a, a pretty basic hotel room there. Okay. And, and camping, you mentioned they're not very well developed campsites, but it is available. They have that they have campgrounds where you can go, and I'm sure it's very cheap. It's I don't know the price, but it's probably fifteen twenty bucks, something like that. And you can also backcountry camp uh, throughout the park uh, for free, um, no permits or anything required. You have to follow their rules. I think you need to be at least I want to say three miles from a paved road. Mm-hmm. before you can camp yeah so it's if you don't have a jeep or something like it it's tougher to be able to do that and there's roads like the racetrack road there's no camping allowed anywhere along that road okay so if you're going to see sailing stones and check out death valley how long should someone spend there to really soak in the experience oh i wouldn't uh i wouldn't be there less than i mean two hours is a minimum to um Two, three hours is a minimum amount of time to go out and actually see some of the stones and really enjoy the experience. Uh, my wife went there a lot when she was a little girl, and her whole thing was she would close her eyes and run and just run and run and run with her eyes closed because there's nothing to run into. She so, didn't trip over a stone? The stones are pretty scattered. No, you're, <laughs> you won't just uh, run into one randomly. Um and then the grandstand is is very cool to go to go see. There's always more people climbing all over the grandstand than there are going out to walk to where the stones move. Huh. Interesting. That's really interesting. And what else should you go see while you're in Death Valley? So Death Valley is all about kind of the big attractions. Um, and the big attractions are, well, obviously, um, uh, Badwater is... Uh, the lowest point that's the name of the lowest point and that's kind of the most developed big parking lot and there's big tour buses there and there's lots of um, tours from foreign countries so you'll get out and there'll be you know 75 Chinese tourists will all come out in a group and they all go running out uh, onto uh, the the salt flats to get to the you know minus 282 feet uh, which is the lowest point so bad water that's really neat to see it's kind of a, uh, you know, you got to do it if you're there. Sure. Then there's places like the Artist's Palette, which is a, an area that has an astounding um, mineral um, exposure of all these different colors, bright green, bright yellow, bright red, bright Ooh. purple. And you want to get there just when the sun's going down and the last rays of the sun are hitting it to get the best color. 
And so that's also a super, super popular place. Is that like the Oregon's Painted Hills? Once you see the artist's palette, you won't want to go back to the Painted Hills anymore. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you'll see the same colors in the Painted Hills. When you take that little trail and you yeah. look around, there's places where you can see a whole bunch of colors. So you see, those are pretty much the same colors you'll see at the artist's palette, but just... Uh, I mean, multiply the scale by 50 or 100. It's, it's, it's immense. Um, there's uh, some overlooks that are very impressive, and these are all long, long drives. I mean, anything expect anything you do, expect two hours just for driving time round trip. Okay. So some of the overlooks, like uh, Dante's View, are really impressive. And then, of course, Death Valley has a whole mining history. Uh, there's complete ghost towns inside the park. Mm. Um, some uh, some big mills that are very well preserved. Uh, there is the borax works, uh, which are right outside Furnace Creek, where they would, you know, back in the old days, they would go out onto the flats and, and scoop up the, the minerals and bring them back, and they would have these big adobe pits that they would uh, boil the... I'm not sure what the process was, but they would produce a usable commercial borax product. And that's, of course, where the 20 mule teams came into play that are that are so famous. Uh, they'd have 20 mules pulling this enormous wagon of borax. And I don't know where they took it, but it was pretty far away and it must have been quite a journey. Wow. There's, wow. Yeah, there's no end of things to do or see. I mean, you can easily spend three days there. And the, and the more you're there, the more you learn about and the more, oh, we got to do that. We got to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So maybe just plan an extra few days and go check out the sites in Death Valley. Yeah. Well, truly, thank you. But before we go, I, I've got a yearning question. I mean, here you are the owner of Skeptoid. You explore various phenomenon around the world. What is the weirdest thing that you have ever seen? You know, I, I, I get that question a lot. Um, and I, I, I answer it by, I mean, there's, there's been a lot of weird things that are just kind of, they're weird because they're so stupid. Like um, a, a thing in India where, they cut you open and sew a dead crow into your abdomen to cure whatever disease you have. And that's just stupid. Yeah. I, so <laughs> what, what, the way I prefer to answer that question is by telling you the things that have given me the most excitement and joy from solving mysteries. And um, the, one, the one that I always think of was a ghost story that I had read about in a kid from a place called Borley Rectory, which is said to be the most haunted house in the world. And it's a place in England. Ooh. And you know, once you start doing what I do for a living, you learn that just about every haunted house has had has marketed itself as the most haunted house in the world <laughs> and hired someone to write a book making that same proclamation. And that turned out to be the case with Borley Rectory. But okay. it, it was, there was one very interesting sort of haunting event mm. that always... Um, sort of tantalized me, and that was um, that writing would appear on the walls while people were watching, and there was photographs of this. What? And the most famous one is this scrawled handwriting that said, Marianne, get help. Oh, no so way. So there was a girl in, in the family that lived in the house whose name was Marianne, and you could find this story in, in any book about it and photographs of the writing, and the writing appeared on the wall while people were watching it, and they called that automatic writing. 
What? And my the reason I bring this up is because when I was going back and doing the original, going back to the original documents about this, reading the, the books that were written at the time by a sort of a celebrity kind of ghost investigator guy mm -hmm. named Harry Price. He's the one who sort of marketed and promoted this house. Um, and this automatic writing event with the photographs happened during a seance. And I went back to another document that did not get so widely published, which was the actual detailed account of the seance. Mm -hmm. And you know a Ouija board? Yes. You know, people put their hands on it and it moves around. Right. And what they would do in their seance, this, this couple who did the seance, they had a, a, a pen or a pencil stuck in the middle of the, the planchette was the thing that it's, it's called that you put your hands on. So as it moved around, it would write. And during these sessions, they needed a big roll of paper to lay out on the table that this thing could write on. And so they found some rolls of wallpaper. So they, the rolls of wallpaper were spread out. They did the planchette. They put their hands on it. And people were watching as the words, Marianne, get help, appeared on the paper. Somewhere, some author read that the words appeared on the wallpaper and assumed that that meant they appeared on the wall, as if wallpaper's usually on the wall, right? Mm, it wasn't. Uh -huh. And it wasn't appearing by itself. These people had their hands on the planchette. Oh. So all of a sudden, everything about the mystery gets solved in kind of a really elegant way where all the pieces just fit into place. And that was one of the moments doing what I do where I just it just really clicked. And I said, boy, I really enjoy my job. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's a great job. It is. Yes, it is best in the world well just let me know if you're hiring because that sounds super fun <laughs> okay all right well thank you so much for being on experiences that you should have i truly appreciate it and i just love how you brought this to life today i really hope some of your listeners i, I run into them at, at uh in at the racetrack i'm gonna be there just in about a week in fact all right so. <laughs> Well, I look forward to getting some of your photos and we will be sharing this on Instagram. Please follow us on Experiences Podcast and please go to experiencesyoushouldhave.com. Click on episodes and there you will find uh, well-written show notes with links, uh, descriptions, uh, where to stay, costs, everything that you need to know. Uh, also including that Jeep rental place that you had mentioned as well. Yeah. So... We will put everything there on experiencesyoushouldhave.com. And again, we are a growing podcast. And I, I'm not asking for money, but what I am asking is that you please share this on social media. Tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell an enemy, tell a mom, tell a dad, whoever it is, the person sitting next to you in the subway, tell that person about experiences you should have. And thanks again. And until our next adventure. <laughs>